1 Samuel chapter 17. Let's stand here for the reading of the Word of God. And we're going to read verse number 4 through 11, 1 Samuel 17. And we're going to look at a very familiar story. Perhaps it's a story you learned when you were in Bible school or in the nursery about David and Goliath. And we started last Sunday just with the thought of maximizing our Christianity, the opportunities that God's given to us. And I don't even know what, I'm, what to call this. I, I looked, we looked at Gideon on Wednesday night. Just, uh, just, just keep going in my mind here. And, and I'm wanting on purpose to pick up some of these characters. And so I, I thought, well, we'll just call them giants of the Bible because you look at them, you wouldn't have thought they were giants. But the idea is that you, with God, make a majority. And it's not because of you, but it's because of God. But sometimes the you keeps God from being the majority that is needed. And, um, but we saw with Gideon, when Gideon let God be God, God came through as being God. And we're going to see when David let God be God, God still comes through with being God. He knows how to do it. And, and so we're looking at God, these Bible giants. But this one's unique because we're looking at a Bible giant that killed a giant. And uh, so we're going to look at this familiar story. I want us to read it. And uh, then we'll say some things that are just very practical about it. But I want us to, and through this, to draw our attention to people and places and the events we know, but get to what it was, was that's the essence of it, and not lose the, the point I believe God wants us to get and gain from these giants of the Bible. Verse number four. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath. Of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and Serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Again tonight, let's take a look at David, God's giant killer. Thank you. Please be seated. There's not a person in here, young or old, who will not face some monsters or tremendous giants in their life. There are giants of every kind. Temptation, 
giants of jealousy, giants of hate, giants of scorn, giants of laziness. And these giants will ridicule us, defeat us, destroy us, keeping us from living the victorious life that God wants us to live. And many times we find ourselves like Saul, like Israel. We're filled with dismay. We're filled with fear because there's some giant who continues to taunt us and to ridicule us and defeat us. And it seems that no matter how we put it together, some things just don't turn out right. That's how we feel. Yet God's order for the day for the Christian, really is the order of victory. If we in our Christian lives are not slaying those giants, then what we're doing is we're trying to figure out how to be compatible with them. We're trying to either ignore them or work with them. We're trying to compromise. And that's what happens when you have a stronghold in your life. And as if you think back, the men think back to the men's advance, you think you've got a control of it, but really it has control of you. And if we are not slaying those giants, we're living beneath our privileges as Christians and we're settling for less than God intended in the Christian life. We ought to be able to slay every giant that comes across our path. So as we look at this familiar story, I want you to see three aspects about it. Again, not giving, uh, there, there, by the way, there's many different places we can land in this great rich story. A couple of years ago, I believe it was a Wednesday night, we looked at the big idea of this chapter. And it really boils down to God used David because he handled God's word rightly within his life. And that was what was happening here. But I want us to see three aspects of this kind of battle that David was in. We're going to look at the fact that this is a past historical battle. It really happened. It was, it was very significant to uh, the change in the momentum of God's people. It's a past historic battle, but it's also a prophetic battle. We can see some prophetic things in this as far as what it pictures for us. And then we're going to look at just the practicality of the practical battle. But notice, number one, the historical battle, the past event. This is a story of David, a young teenage boy. Some even suggested he could have been 13. But somewhere between 13, 14, 15, and 16, and then there's a great big old giant, nine feet, four inches tall. And he's standing there with his armor shining in the sunlight. He has that great spear in his hand and he's taunting. He's literally taunting the armies of Israel. It's almost like one of the Israelites would say, did you hear what he said? No, I didn't hear, I didn't, I didn't hear anything. And, and it's just, it's not going away. It's so obvious that this is going to be a problem. And none of us are, are up to this kind of a fight. He's saying things like, you bunch of sissies, send out somebody to fight me. Don't you hear? And for 40 days, he kept taunting them. But nobody in the camp of Israel wanted to fight him. There was a giant down there in the valley, but he wasn't uh, green. He wasn't jolly. And, uh, he, and nobody wanted to go out there against him. He said, well, why doesn't Saul go out and fight him? He's our king. Well, Saul said he had a headache and there wasn't any uh, Tylenol available. And he just didn't feel very well at that time. And, 
and he wanted to give others opportunities. And, and so David comes along. And David said, why are you letting this giant blaspheme the name of our God? Why doesn't somebody go out there and fight? And he said, well, why don't you do something about it? And David said, all right, I've got about 15 minutes and uh, I think I'll, I'll squeeze it in. You know, David had a completely different kind of an attitude about Goliath than everybody else had. And perspective really is important. His perspective was different. Everybody else was saying, look how much bigger he is than we are. And David was saying, well, look how small he is compared to our God. Everybody else was saying, he's too big to get into a fight with. He's too big to hit. And David said, I think he's too big to miss. See, David went out there with five smooth stones and that slingshot like he had done so many times before when he was out there watching over his father's flock of sheep. And he got those stones. And it didn't take but one of those five. And, but it's always maybe good to have some uh, reinforcement. And he swung that around his head like he had done so many times before and he let it fly. And about that time, old Goliath raised up the visor on his helmet to see what's going on. And, and he met that rock and God put it right where it needed to be. But you know, there's more to it than just a historical past battle. There is a prophetic, tremendous prophetic truth to this. There's a number two, a prophetic battle. We look at this and say, well, this is a nice little shepherd boy. They could go out and kill a big old ugly cursing giant. Isn't that a wonderful story? But there is a prophetic truth to this. Because all through the Bible, you find that Satan is, is coming down upon the cause and agenda of God, the plan of God. And he's using anybody who will allow him to, to, to work through them. And we find that Goliath is prophetic of Satan, our number one enemy. He's our public enemy number one. And the prophetic truth is that Goliath of Gath is representative of Satan and all of his power. David, however, is representative of the Lord Jesus Christ who came in the lineage of David, that is Jesus did, to defeat the forces of evil once and for all. So Goliath represents the power of Satan. You know, he, he does, so we can see this here. And I I'm not one that really gets uh, hung up on the numerology, but there are some unique aspects to it. You know, we see the use of the number six. When you read this passage, you find that Goliath is six cubits high. He had six pieces of armor and his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. We are familiar with the 666 in Revelation. We're told that devil Superman, the Antichrist, when he comes at the end of time to take control is represented by the number 666. Goliath is representative of all that is against God and Christ, and the Bible, and all those who stand for God and truth. Six is the number of man. Seven is the number of completion of divine perfection. Man was created on the sixth day. Man is sinful. Man is less than perfect. And 666 is the number of Satan and his superman. And notice that Goliath is powerful. He's a champion, the Bible says. We read that in verse number four. 
The Bible reminds us in Ephesians 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. Samson uh, was one that was a strong and powerful man. But the danger of even God's man who's powerful is to forget that there is an almighty power that's greater than he knows. And here's the enemy of God who's a powerful being. He's Goliath. He's powerful. Our enemy is powerful, but he's also proud. Notice he says, I defy the armies of Israel. He's saying, I defy you to fight me. You know, Satan is still making noise today. He's still being intimidating. He's still walking about seeking whom he may devour as a roaring lion. He's proud. He's defiant. He not only is powerful and proud, but he's persistent. He's persistent. Notice in verse number 16. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. He's persistent. 40 days he challenged the armies of Israel. 40 days he issued the challenge for someone to come and fight him. 40 days he tested the armies of Israel. You know, in the Bible, the number 40 is significant for it is the number of testing. So when you decide, I'm going to try to read my Bible for 21 days, and the devil says, I can make it 40 rounds with you. And you give up before he gives up. He's testing. He's going to stay after you. Remember, it was 40 days that Jesus was tempted of Satan in the wilderness. It was 40 years that the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. It was 40 years that Moses sojourned in the wilderness before God could use him. And 40 is the number of testing and the devil is persistent. No wonder God reminds us that we must remain steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain. He just keeps on trying. He keeps on coming after us. 40 days testing and testing. Notice not only is Goliath prophetic of Satan, but David is prophetic of the Lord Jesus Christ. One is that David was sent. He was sent by his father. David was there on an errand. He was there on a mission. Why is he there to see the battle? Because he was listening to his father. He was coming to, to bring some refreshments to his brothers. David was on a mission. And Jesus Christ, the son of God, was sent down from heaven with the bread of life to bring to you and I. Not only is, is David a sent one, but he's also a scorned one. If you notice in your Bible when you read this story, you begin to see that David is scorned. They all begin to say, David, you can't fight that giant. They all begin to ridicule. The Bible tells us too that Jesus is the scorned one. He came to his own and his own received him not. They scorned him. The very ones who knew the most concerning the prophecies of Jesus Christ were the very ones who rejected him. Not only is David the sent one, the scorned one, but he's also the saving one. 
This isn't just an army fighting against an army. We heard Brother Shetler speak this morning about the representative Adam. He represented all of us in sin so that the second Adam, Christ, could represent us in salvation. And you read here, Saul, rather, uh, Goliath is the one who said, whoever wins this one-on-one match, the army, the people, will belong to the other and serve. He says that in verse number 9. And so this is a representative of an army fighting against the representative of another army. When David went out there, he wasn't fighting just for himself. He's fighting for all the people of God. And Goliath was fighting for all the people of Satan and the Philistines. Whoever won the victory, it was between these two representatives. One, the satanic representative. The other, the spiritual representative. When David won the victory and he slew the giant Goliath, we read in this story, Israel also won the victory. Listen, when Jesus died on the cross and won the victory, he wasn't only conquering Satan for himself. He was conquering Satan for you and me 2,000 years later because he died for our sins and for all of those who would receive him. Jesus won the victory that day. And the victory that he won is our victory, the precious Son of God. So it's a prophetic battle. I want you to see, lastly here, it's a practical battle. There's some practicality. There's a lot of practicality here. And there's a lot that I won't get into, but I do want to just emphasize a few things for us to take away. As you and I are meeting our problems... It doesn't matter what your satanic inspired giant might be. It doesn't matter how dark and how difficult. There is a way of victory. I don't want to tell you tonight how to remove problems that God may want to help you grow through as a Christian. We don't want to just remove things I'm not telling you that there's a a way that all the things that come in your life that are not good can be avoided because I think sometimes we're, we're looking to avoid some things when God wants us to conquer them. Remember the army, the entire army equipped to battle didn't want to go to battle. I'm telling you, however, rather than avoiding the giant, that we can face the giant but focus on the God that is going to give us the victory. I'm telling you tonight, you can have victory. And I want us to see some ways, practically speaking, how we can slay those giants and get rid of those things that keep you from having the fullness of joy in Jesus Christ. So how did David defeat Goliath? Well, first of all, he applied the principle of purpose. Of purpose. Notice in verse 31 and verse 32. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. There's a holy resolve that David has. See, David said, I will do it. I will get up today. 
I will face that giant. The one that everyone else is ignoring. Have you ever said, I will fight. I don't know how I can do it, but I know he can. I will sign up. Have you ever said, I will engage the enemy? Most say, devil, you leave me alone and I'll leave you alone. But that's not the way it works. The Bible teaches that we as God's people must be on the offensive and we must make a holy resolve in our life. Remember, it was Jesus who said concerning the work of the church, the ministry of the church, the position of the church, that the gates of hell, gates are for defense. The defense, the, the, the authority of hell will not prevail against the church. We're not on the defense, we are on the offense. We're saying, you, you cross my threshold, then, then I'll go after the devil. We say, if, if he comes onto our property, then I have a right to shoot. And God says, no, because he exists, we need to recognize our position in Christ and be on the offense and sign up and stand up and face the battle and get in the battle. We, we can't win if we don't fight. We need to be on the offensive. There needs to be a holy resolve. We cannot stay out of the battle. We cannot stay neutral. Many churches tend to take a neutral position and we tend to focus on just the 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 social ills out there that no one in here is guilty of. Well, yes, there are giants out there, but every one of us have giants that are in here. And that's why you've got the men's emphasis, the conquer group. That's why we're having other thing in the men's prayer time. I told the men this morning, one of the, the, the traits among the men that I see when they come in is that by being in the men's prayer time and listening to them pray and listening to them praise Saturday night is that one, they become convinced that God is up to something. And number two, they get burdened about each other. You know what David was doing? He was saying, God's up to something. I don't know what y'all are missing in this. You're supposed to be the experts in this, but God is up to something. And if you don't do it, I guess I will but he was burdened about his brethren too. See, when you have a holy resolve, I want to warn you, watch it. There's going to be certain things that will happen. I met with several this week and everyone would talk about these dark events in their life. They're, they're, on, they're, they're seeking God, they're pursuing God, and just smacked with darkness. And I said, I, I know God's doing, doing something in my life that, where I've got, I've got to get out here um, dealing with this matter of spiritual warfare, what it really is. And spiritual warfare, does not, it does nothing for spiritual warfare. I can preach on it. And the only thing we get out of spiritual warfare is anything sensational. If I can tell you a sensational story, and I can, and I can go into, if I can ever tell you about someone who was possessed and what happened, people perk up. But spiritual warfare, preaching and teaching means nothing unless you're engaged in spiritual activity. 
See, the devil doesn't mind if you are enthralled with the sensation of his being and power. It's just like a, um, a boa constrictor. He doesn't mind you playing with him. He doesn't mind if you handle him. He doesn't mind you getting comfortable with him. Fearful of it, but let me, let me, uh, let, 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 me, let me see if I can put it around my shoulders. But when you start engaging with the Holy Spirit, then the work of the unholy spirit starts to be made manifest. I said this to several on Friday. If you were with me on Friday, I, I just found I'm saying it meeting after meeting, so it stuck in my mind. And, and it's like the, the story, or it's like the game as kids would play King of the Hill. Anyone ever played that, King of the Hill? I never played it. I always just hear about it. King of the Hill. And, and the idea is, you know, this kid standing on a hill of some other kind, and, and who's going to be the king, and who's going to be the champion? Well, you got to knock him off. And so they're, they're fighting, they're getting up there, and, and push down, and kick down, and try to throw off one. Well, you know the one that's going to get hit, and kicked, and pushed is the one who's getting the closest to the top. The ones who are staying down at the bottom, they're not going to get touched. But the one who's going to try to advance to the top, they're going to get pushed. And what we're finding is that people are trying to get to that. Remember the, the psalmist said, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And as we're trying to, to get to that upward plane, and we're trying to go higher ground with him, Satan says, uh, let, me, let me give you this to think about. And he puts a darkness in our face. And he puts a, a jab, a right hook, and just hits us with doubts and confusion. Do you think you really want, do you really want to try to scale this mountain? And he says to us, like he said to Eve, do you think that's what God really wants you to do? Do you think that that's really going to... God knows if you just stayed down there, you would be better off. In fact, you, you've been down there on the ground wallowing around in your sin. And you've been playing with the giant. And you've not had any real trouble for death decades and now you're going to try to get free you're going to try to get up to that mountain oh I don't think you want to do that I'm telling you if you're going to be a giant killer he's not going to say oh okay well let me go sit down because I've been doing this for a few thousand years and I'm going to let you get a pass just be prepared for this to happen first of all and I'm, I'm sorry, I've got an outline kind of, and, and you hear first of all, and you think, well, haven't you said that three other times? And I know it is in different points. And, but, um, but in this, when you have a holy resolve and you are determined, this, is, this comes under number three, the practical battle, uh, letter A, um, the principle of purpose. And under this, I've got number one. When you have this principle of purpose and resolve, notice in verse number 11, notice what is said. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were, what's the word? Dismayed, Dismayed and greatly. Afraid. Yeah, you can be prepared that there's going to be the dismay of others. The fear of others we made manifest. The Bible says that when Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistines, they were afraid. They were scared. 
Somebody said there are three classes of people in America. Those who are afraid, those who don't have enough, enough sense to be afraid, and then there are those who have their Bibles. When Saul and Israel saw Goliath, they were afraid, they're dismayed. David had to look into the faces of people who were dismayed, afraid. Regardless of the fear that you have, David was concluding, I've got to go. I still have to fight. You know, it's one thing to get on a ride, and I've been drugged on some rides before, and my wife knows no roller coaster that, that she fears. And I don't know of any roller coaster that human beings should be on. Um, and um, there have been occasions I've gotten on them. And, and it's, it's, it's usually, I, I usually only ride with her because I figured that most everyone else would never think that that was me that was doing the screaming. They'll think it was her. I think I lost a meeting or two and I was at a conference and there was, we went, this youth conference, we went to a theme park in Ohio and um, I think some of the preachers were bothered that I sounded like a girl on the roller coaster. I, I just said, I, I, couldn't, I, I couldn't control uh, that. That was, that was the, the bipolar Billy that came out and um, I had no business being on there and it, it, was, it, was, it was horrible. But I, I've, I remember a few years ago we were at SeaWorld and we were just walking and talking, and she said, hey, let's get on this. There's no line. And there was no line. We got on. And before I knew what I, I'm getting strapped into something. And usually I close my eyes. I don't care what the theory is. I'm, I just close my eyes through it. Um, it's, 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 it, it, I just figure I'm going I'm to. And, and, I, and I do that, though, but I'm thinking about every mechanical failure possibility throughout that. And, and it, it, was, it, was the most fear, it was the most fearful thing that I had ever done. It, I know it lasted 30 minutes, and, and, it was, it, and I didn't want to get off when it ended, not because I wanted to go again, but because I was afraid I wet my pants, and I was afraid to get off with, while people were standing there. It was, it, it just, it just it, it, this, this was cruel and unusual. There was nothing about it that, that, that was sane. And, and oh, oh, Christy, she just laughs through the whole thing. And it makes me so much more wanting to cry. How can she laugh when I'm over here knowing we're about to die? I needed, I needed somebody to deliver. But there have been times where the line's been long and I've watched people's faces. And I, I see people, they're just laughing and they're talking, they're cutting up. And, you know, it kind of helps. And I, and I get on there and I think, what idiot am I? They're just weirdos. <laughs> they were the ones who don't have enough sense to be afraid. A bunch of weirdos. And, and then I've been on those where I'm looking around trying to calm myself, looking at people thinking, well, if she can do it, I can do it. And then I find some other man who cries and steps out of line and I think, there is no way I'm getting on this. I think I got to go help my kids. I got to help my kids. And that was before we even had kids. I was trying to, to get out of. It affects you. It affects what you see. It affects you by what you see. There are some who've been encouraged not to stay involved and get involved and to determine how involved and, and all the, because somebody else influenced you that way. 
I'm telling you, you have to have a holy resolve. Fear is Satan's chief tool. Fear made Saul a coward. Saul went from hero to a zero because of fear, and that will happen in our life. It's happened in mine. Fear, dismay. You get your report from God. You don't get your report from others. And others are to help you only as long as their report is coming from God. That's why I, I love, I love I mean, I'm telling you, it does my heart good. I'm so encouraged when I hear the men and see the men challenging each other. I mean, the men are brutal on each other. You, you, didn't, you, didn't, you haven't sent me your I will statement in, 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 in half a day yet. You better turn that in or we're going to be over at your house and we're going to write your I will statement like a tattoo on your forehead. I mean, it's just, it's like, man, this is good stuff. David said, I'm not going to listen to anything but what God tells me to do. Not only did he face the dismay and the fear of others, but he also faced the disdain of his loved ones. I think that this may have hurt David more than looking at the fear in people's eyes. Notice in verse 28. And Eliab, his eldest brother, the older brother, the one that he looked up to. When he spake unto the men, Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. They ridiculed David. His own brother out there said, you just came out here to see a battle. You, you, you came out here to see a fight. You ought to be home tending to those sheep. And, and maybe he said it loud enough that, that people could hear, this isn't a soldier, this is a shepherd. Sometimes when you make that holy resolve, the ones who will stand against you the most are the ones that you thought loved you the most. A lot of people don't serve God because of what their relatives will say or what their friends will say. We don't want to be made fun of. We don't want to be thought of as one of God's. That's a dangerous place to get into. No, you, you just identify yourself with God. Remember Peter? He said, I'll never deny you. Partly because he was within that crowd that was saying, amen. But when that crowd changed, so did his loyalty. Peter standing by the fire. He's warming his hands. Jesus is being tried. Standing by the fire. We don't see any place in the Bible that says, thou shalt not go by the fire. The problem is Peter's not where he's supposed to be. And all it took was a young girl to trip him up. You get out of the place where you ought to be. And you're going to find yourself intimidated by the crowd that needs you to stay close to God. When you put that fear that you read in people's faces with the ridicule of friends. 
And you couple that with the third dynamic. In verse number 33, notice what it says. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth. And he, a man of war from his youth. Number three, he faced the discouragement of Saul. Now here's the expert. Here's the champion warrior king. And and yet he's getting discouragement from Saul. Saul said it can't be done. When you put the fear that you read in people's faces, the ridicule of your friends or relatives and the discouraging words that people sometimes give you, and you put all that together and you think about that, you better watch it. You'll never do anything for God. If you listen to those three things, that's why you have to have a holy resolve. Are you tuned in to God? Are you listening to what God is saying to you? You need to be tuned into God. Not reading the fear of people's faces. Not listening to the discouraging remarks of friends or family who know not God. Not listening to the discouragement that comes from others that might be experts, but that also are not facing the giants. Friends may may oppose me. Foes may beset me. Still will I enter in. For I am resolved no longer to linger. Charmed by the world's delights. Things that are nobler. Things that are higher. These have allured my sight. Not only did he have the principle of purpose. That holy resolve. But also in this battle for victory. There was the principle of progression. Now notice this in verse 34 and verse 35. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I called him by the hair of his chinny chin chin. And smote him and slew him. What's the principle of progression? Well, David learned what we've said so many times. He learned how to go from victory to victory. He wasn't showing up for the first time and, and, and trying to, to see God work. Now, this is the first time he faced a giant. This is the first time the stakes were this high. But he had experienced victory wherever that battle might be. It might have been a lion, might have been a bear, it might have been something else. And the principles of victory applied day by day. In other words, he had been faithful in the smaller things. Now God could give him a larger battle. With a larger battle, God has a larger victory. He had been faithful in the small battles and now God has given him the victory in the larger battles. Listen, if a person cannot be faithful to God, if they cannot be faithful in the small things, if they can't be obedient in the small things, they'll never have victory in their lives, period. Well, you know, I'm just trying to serve God the best I can. Well, serving God is being faithful. One of the things I like when we went out to Yellowstone years ago is go out and see Old Faithful. You know what I liked about Old Faithful? Not so much that it was old, but that it was faithful. They could tell us when it was going to erupt. 
And it's, and it's nice to see something that is dependable. There's a lot of people in this world and in churches today who could do so much for God because God's not bankrupt for, for us. He's not bankrupt for power. He has it all, but he's chosen. He's given the invitation. Who would like to be on the Lord's side? Who would like to be used to see the giants fall and the families turn to God and the communities awaken to the presence of God and a nation and a nation turn to God? But there are so many people, they never learn how to defeat the lion in their life, the bear in their life, and so they don't know how to defeat the Goliaths in their life when they come up. Not only did David have the principle of progression uh, in his life, he had the principle of purpose, he had the principle of progression, but then, then he also had the principle of power. How do little boys like David kill giants like Goliath? David was just barely a teenager. How does this happen? It's the principle of power. He used a, a very powerful method. Notice again verse number 38. In verse 38, let me get there. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail, and David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook. And he put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. See, David was being equipped by King Saul with his armor. Can you see little David? A little teenage boy trying to put on King Saul's armor, too heavy, can't even hold his spear. And I'm sure they put that armor on him and David just ran around in it and said, I, I can't do anything with this. It's, it, it's not going to work. And the, the principle for us is that he rejected the methods of the world. I'm just going to use the proven method that I've used in my life. He went out there and he got five smooth stones. He knew what they could do. He had seen that work with a lion and a bear. And, and he knew that if God could help me there, God can help me here. You know, today in the church, we are where we are, not because of the methods of the world. I'm talking about Canaan, the life of God, what God's doing and, and bringing about victory and, and, and putting homes together and not just keeping homes together, but, but bringing about um, this matter of, of revival in the home. You know, I, I was talking with Nick on Friday and uh, Nick Wainick and we are talking about how God uses broken, busted things. The world throws them away. God uses them. And Nick said, yeah, it's going to take some, a lot of Holy Ghost glue in, in our lives. And I thought, well, that, that, that's it. <laughs> you know, God, it's, it's, it's the glue of God that we need in our life. And, and the way that we get to this and the way uh, Brother Wilson was at the, at the prayer meeting last night. You know, nearly 50 people at the prayer meeting last night. And he said, there's no pizza, there's no food here. And yet people are here hungry for God. I'm going to tell you how we get to this place. It's not because we're using the methods of this world. 
We're not using financial manipulation. We're not using Hollywood personality. It's because we've had to, uh, uh, to it's, it's, it's not because we've had to adjust uh, to the, the message of the circus or the message of the fair, but it's because we've used the timeless time proven methodologies of the Word of God. We've stuck with the preaching of God's Word. The Word of God is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It can get right down into the innermost being, the inside of a man, and do a transforming work that works its way from the inside out. We're sticking with this. Where Someone says, well, it's old-fashioned. It's old-fashioned. Well, sin is old-fashioned. The blood of Jesus is old-fashioned. And we're sticking with that which is timeless. The Word of God, soul-winning, tithing, separated living, faithfulness to God. And I'll tell you, any church that will use the time-proven message and methodologies of the Word of God, you're going to find and discover the power of God. David slew the giant because he used a powerful method. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, they're not human, but they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds within our lives, 2 Corinthians 10. But not only was it a powerful method, but notice in verse number 45. Then said David to the Philistine, thou comest to me with the sword and with the spear and with the shield. Now, you would think that you would say, David, whatever you do, don't antagonize him. You know, just, just keep quiet. But David says, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. Not only did David come with a powerful method, but he had a powerful master. There's power, folks, in the name of Jesus. The Bible says that they overcame him in Revelation in chapter number 12. They overcame him through the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony. They loved not their lives unto the death. Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, what does that mean? Well, we heard even about that this morning. It means Jesus' authority. Jesus said, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. Jesus uses two different words when he speaks of power. Matthew 28, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. But the power there is the word for authority. And Jesus is telling us that the authority that he has is all authority in heaven and in earth. No one is, has more authority. Not only does he have more power than anything, anybody, he has all authority. See, Larry Mooney can go to a house and, and he, he, he gets called. There's a problem. He can come in and knock on the door and they say, who is it? And he says, it's Larry Mooney. Open up. And they say, go away. But he can knock on that door and, said, and say, this is the law. Open up. Now, they didn't respond to the name Larry Mooney, but they'll respond to the name of the law if they know what's good for him. Not because he has more physical power, perhaps, but because he has authority. 
The Bible says we defeat Satan in our lives. You ought to claim the, the defeat of Satan in your life, not because you're stronger than he is, but because you have all authority in the name of Jesus. Listen, did David have more power than Goliath? Well, did he? No, but he had more authority. He came to him in the name of the Lord of hosts. And we as Christians can conquer in the name of Jesus Christ, the name that's above every name. You tell me what it is you're struggling with. You're struggling with submission? Why don't you take it to the authority of Jesus Christ? You're, you're struggling with substance? Take it to the authority of Jesus Christ. When we speak his name and exercise his name and use his name, we're speaking his authority, exercising his authority and using his authority. Satan has to flee at the name and authority of Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus is a strong and a mighty tower. We need to learn to believe in that name, to preach that name. When we sing and preach that name, we need to realize we're talking about a name that is above every name. Jesus. Oh, how sweet the name. Jesus. Every day the same. Jesus. Let all saints proclaim that worthy name forever. Let's stand together, please.